Okay. Psalm 62, uh, the New American Standard Bible. The text says, For the choir director, according to Judithan, a psalm of David. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse Salah. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of high rank, men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in oppression, and do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to the Lord, and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, and you recompense a man according to his works. Now, one of the things we said we want to be looking for in the Psalms, we want to be looking for just what these Psalms say about God. And just keep that category in mind as we go throughout it. And we will not be at a loss for material in Psalm 62. Because Psalm 62 has much to say about God. But it's very interesting. In spite of all he says about God. And in spite of what he says to others about God. He only addresses God himself in verse 12. Loving kindness is yours, O Lord, and you recompense a man according to his work. He has much to say about God, but he doesn't address him directly. He is usually speaking to himself or speaking to others about who God is. A couple of words about the heading before we start. Uh, Judithan. 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 That name appears in First Chronicles sixteen forty one. First Chronicles twenty five one. It appears in the heading of Psalm thirty nine. And Psalm 77. These passages in Chronicles 
place him among those who were temple singers. Those families devoted to singing at the temple. And that probably, it probably is a personal noun in reference to this particular man. And let there be light. <laughs> yes. Is that an indicate? Is that working better? I'm getting closer. Are you getting closer? <laughs> okay. At least we can see. Okay. Um, but, but, um, okay. Verse 1. My soul in silence, waits in silence. And that, and that verb waits, by the way, you notice in the New American Standard is in italics. It's supplied in context. My soul in silence for God only. Did you notice how frequently the word only or alone is used in this psalm? And a lot of times it refers to God being our only hope. Here in verse 1, I'm waiting on God only. In verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. In verse 5, my soul wait in silence for God only. In verse 6, He only is my rock and salvation. God alone is the one he turns to. Thank you, Bob. God alone is the one he turns to. God alone is the one that he can look to. My soul in silence for God only. For he is my salvation. And both of those words, only and salvation, are words that continually recur throughout Psalm 62. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. Did you notice that verses 5 and 6 largely repeat verses 1 and 2? There are going to be some slight differences which we're going to try to reference in just a moment. But right now he says, my soul will not be greatly shaken. This psalm begins not with a description of enemies, as so many of David's psalms do, but these psalms begin with a statement of waiting on God, looking to God, and hoping in God. After a brief discussion of enemies in verses 3 and 4, he's going to come back to these things he said about God. In a very real sense, what he says about God surrounds, encompasses his enemies and will not allow them to thrive and survive. We'll say more about verses 1 and 2 in a moment when we get to verses 1 and 6. But he says, how long will you assail a man that you murder him, all of you? 62-3, how long? Now often in the book of Psalms, that question is asked. As a matter of fact, we saw it four times in the first two verses of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, 
How long? We saw that question asked repeatedly in Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, that question is directed to God, isn't it? Question is directed to God. How long, O Lord? In this verse, it doesn't seem to me that the question is directed to God, but it's directed to the wicked person who would do his neighbor harm, who in verse 4 delights in falsehood and blesses with his mouth, but inwardly they curse. And he says, how long to the wicked? How long are you going to continually act like this? How long are you going to assail a man that you murder him, all of you? And verse 3, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. What does that picture call up to your mind? Anything? Instability. Instability. Insecurity, another close word. Did you? <coughs> what was that? Unsteady. 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 Now remember how enemies would stay outside a wall to try to siege it, and as soon as they would get a battering round to try to break down the wall. And if this be a description of David, if this is a description of him, it may be that he is weak and his enemies are attacking. Now, this is where I wanted to introduce something from the King James. I want you to look at whatever translation you've got. But I wanted to mention this from the King James, and I want to ask you, what is the difference... What is the difference in this translation? How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall. Shall you be as a tottering fence? What do you notice about that? Deborah, you're using... The King James applies that statement about instability and insecurity about this wall that's about to fall and this fence that's tottering. It applies it to the enemies. It seems like it is applied in verse 3 to David in most of our translations. And there is some dispute among those who comment on this passage as to which that best applies to. Most apply it to David the speaker, but, but there is some reason to take that King James application to the enemies seriously. There, there's some reason it may have applied to them. But whatever, whether it be the attack or the attacker, Ultimately, they're both unstable, aren't they? They're both insecure. And ultimately, our only hope is in God, as this psalm so vividly stresses. In verse 4, another use of the word only, but it's used differently here. It applies to the behavior of the wicked. They have counseled only 
to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse Salah. Now, the word falsehood, verse 4, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It is the same word used in verse 9 and translated in the New American Standard, a lie. Men of low degree are only vanity and men of rank are a lie. Some delight in a lie and men, even the most powerful of men, are a lie. <coughs> and it says, they bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Silah. So verses 1 and 2, David is putting his confidence in God. God is his rock. God is his salvation. But then in verses 3 and 4, he looks to those enemies who assail him, who would murder him. They would murder him even, he says. But yet they still speak nice words with their mouth. But inwardly they are cursing him. And he says in verse 5, My soul wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Now look at verses 1 and 2 and look at verses 5 and 6. And what are some differences between the verse? Verse 5 basically repeats verse 1. Verse 2 uh, is basically repeated in verse 6. But there are slight differences. What would those be? In verse 5, my soul waits in silence. In verse 5, my soul waits in silence. Okay. And you pointed out that waits in verse 1 is in italics. It's not... Wait is not in verse 5. It is not in verse 5. And it is used as an imperative. He is speaking here to himself. Wait in silence. Very good. While he is in silence, trusting God, waiting for God, here he is using what he knows about God to encourage himself to wait on him. And to wait on him only. Very good. Very good. What else? In one and five you've got from him is my salvation versus for my hope is from him. Okay. In verse one, salvation is from him. In verse five, it is hope that is emphasized. Okay? Gary? He has in verse 1, I shall not be greatly shaken, and then he won't be shaken at all. Yes, that's right. I think it's actually verse 2 that he's not greatly shaken, but in verse 6, he's not shaken at all. And and that is a representation of the original language. That that is because, I mean, it does have an extra word in verse 2. There's a difference between I'm not going to be greatly shaken and I'm not going to be shaken. And so this is really a greater statement of faith. I said too, and by the way, that's really tremendous that y'all picked out those three things. I don't know if I would have picked them out had I not had a whole lot of help 
and picking those out and looking through um, as many books as I did. And uh, but uh, that statement in chapter sixty-two, two and sixty-six-six, I will not be shaken or in verse 2 it's not be shaken greatly as Gary already pointed out but but uh, you see that statement in the book of Psalms for people who will and will not be shaken in 13.4 it is his enemies anticipating that he will be shaken in 15.5 the man who puts his trust in the Lord and lives accordingly to enter God's house will not be shaken. In 16.8, I've set the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. And you see this idea continuing frequently in the Psalms. There are other verses that we could put up there that make the same point. But his salvation is in God, his hope is in God. Because God is the only one we can look to and help, we sometimes have to counsel ourselves in the midst of problems. We have to tell ourselves to wait in silence for Him. And He can take us from being not very shaken to not being shaken at all. To be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. May the Lord help us. And in verse 7. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. So we stated He doesn't address God very often, but he speaks of God. And he speaks of God in powerful ways. God is my salvation. Same thing was said in verse 1. The same thing was said in verse 2. In verse 6, he is my rock and my salvation. And now in verse 7... On God, my salvation, my glory. Some of your translations here may have honor. My glory, my honor, it rests. God is the rock of my strength, my refuge. All of these describe who God is for us, what God does. Now, I won't tell you. I know that I'm running over this quickly and and, and I'm giving you a chance right here to respond if, if you want to or say something about those. But I'll tell you, reflecting on these kind of things about God, this is the deep matters of Scripture. And this is really profound. What does it mean, God is my salvation, my glory, my strength? My refuge. These are all powerful pictures of who God is and what God does for us. Does anybody want to say anything about those terms? Because really we could focus on any of them and go on for a very long time. But just just think about it. I'm just thinking about 
what Paul wrote in Romans, you know, towards the end of chapter 8 there, about how nothing can separate us from God's love. Once, once you're his, he's, he's going to, things may happen to us here on the earth, but ultimately he's still going to be with us and bring us home. Yes. To spend eternity with him. Yes. So, That's right. That's right. I couldn't help but think that th these are the kind of things that uh, become necessary to become more than just knowledge for us, but something that we uh, get ingrained in our lives and practice those yeah. things in our, in our hearts and lives. And we're looking to him for uh, these things. Hezekiah. You know what that name means? The Lord is my strength. I mean, they name their children things that cause them to reflect on these words. <coughs> Sarah? victory is his he has brought it about he has brought us from the depths of sin to set us at his right hand in the heavenly places and so yes that's right in verse in verse 8 of 62 psalm 62 he makes an appeal to people as david said in verse 5 he's making a statement to himself to wait in silence but in verse 8, he is directing this to others. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. Same word refuge used in verse 7 is used again in verse 8. In verse 7, he is my refuge. My refuge is in God. In verse, 10, verse 8, God is a refuge for us. Salah. Now... Some of these last four verses are going to build on, they're going to build on what was, what has been said previously in the whole psalm, and maybe especially verse 8, as we are called to trust in God in verse 8, and that is going to be in contrast to putting our trust in other places. Uh, in verses 9 and 10, men of low degree are only vanity and men of rank are a lie uh, in the balances they go up they are together lighter than breath do not trust in oppression do not vainly hope in robbery if riches increase do not set your heart upon them so in verse 8 he tells us, he, he makes an appeal and he uses a plural term. He calls upon people to trust in God. To trust in God. He calls upon them to trust in God. In verse 10, you're gonna, we notice he tells us places that you are not to put your trust. Same word, 
used in both cases. So he is telling us where we can put our trust. He is telling us where we cannot put our trust. In verse 10, he is particularly talking of riches and wealth, but that's not the only false object of trust. In 62.9, he emphasizes that to put our trust in men, to put our trust in men is foolishness. Put our trust in men is foolishness. The Bible emphasizes that God is great and from man we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. Psalm 27 states this. Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? We don't have anything to fear from man. But the point in Psalm 62, 9 is not that we don't have anything to fear from man. The point in Psalm 62 verse 9 is we cannot put our hope in him. We can't fear him and we can't put our hope in him because he will always disappoint. And the contrast in the New American Standard, in most versions, carry this through, it contrasts men of low degree with men of rank. Men of low degree with men of rank. Look at Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Psalm 49 verse 2. Let me just read verse 1, but verse 2 is what we're focusing on. Hear this, O peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the earth, both low and rich, both low and high, rich and poor together. Low and high. So this goes to this distinct. Now, both of these, what you have in both cases is that this just uses different Hebrew words for men. And some think it refers to men of lower significance and lower power versus men of higher significance. What's interesting, though, is that the Greek translation of the Old Testament used the exact words to translate both of these. Maybe the point is not to say the low and the high, but it is just to say all men... Same point, whatever, that all men, none of them are the proper objects of trust. Whether they're people of low degree, whether they're people of rank, whether they're just, but, but they're all just men and they are vanity and they are lighter than breath. Now, I bet just looking at that word vanity, that reminds you of another Old Testament book. Ecclesiastes, this is the word that is used in Ecclesiastes so frequently. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Men of low degree are only vanity. And men of rank are a lie. And I read a good statement. Men of rank 
taking that just how it's translated here, you see an important person. Everybody's flocking around them. Everybody's listening to what they say. Everybody is wanting to hear what they think about a certain thing. They're a lie. As one writer says, they look substantial, but they're not really. They don't have that much to say. They don't have that great wisdom, and they can't keep themselves from dying. The ESV says those of high estate are a delusion. A delusion, okay. Delusion. Um, remember, this is the same word translated falsehood back in verse 4, so it carries. Delusion would be a legitimate way to say that. Delusion, lie, falsehood. But they promise something they can't deliver. And by the way, not only in verse 9 is the word vanity the same word for vanity in Ecclesiastes, but so is the word breath. At the end of the verse, they are lighter than breath. My, mine says they are lighter than vanity. Okay, it uses the same word to translate it. And uh, that makes the point very easy um, to understand and very easy to see. And I see that it does. Uh, it does use that word vanity here. But I want you to think that. Um, any of you tried recently to weigh your breath, or anybody else's breath for that matter, you tried to weigh that. You know, it, does, it's, it doesn't register real heavily on the scales, does it? Does it? Doesn't register. As a matter of fact, if, if we could all, I, I, I think that, that we would all tell our weight if, if we weighed as little as our breath. We would probably all tell that and boast of it. If you took a balloon with air in it and with no air in it, it would weigh the same. Okay, I'll take your word on that, Sandy, but that's a great, great observation there. But it, breath just, it doesn't, it doesn't weigh anything. That's, that's, that's a good way to illustrate. But yet, it's heavier than men, people. People of rank, people of low degree, it's heavier than that. I want you to think about that. You know, Isaiah 40 has this picture of the glory and majesty of God. And verses 15 through 17 of those verses tell us all the nations are as nothing before him. They are less than nothing and meaningless. If we all saw how big God was, how great he was, how awesome he was, and if we could keep that before us every moment, do you think it would be a very big temptation to try to please one of these people who's lighter than breath? May God help us to keep our eyes on him who is unseen instead of those around us whom we see. May God help us to do that. So you put your trust in verse 8 in God. You put your trust in Him. You don't put your trust, you don't put your confidence 
in men. You don't put your trust and your confidence even in the most powerful of men. Psalm 146 says this in verses 3 and 4. Do not trust in princes. Now these are the most powerful of men. In mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. And then verse 5 makes a contrast. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Whose hope is the Lord God. Don't put our trust in people. Don't put our trust in men. Don't put our trust in humankind. In verse 10, do not trust in oppression. Now, this particularly talks about how some people in their great rush to get wealth will often involve themselves in dishonesty or immorality in order to take advantage of others. But do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. And even if riches are rightly acquired legitimately acquired if riches increase verse 10 says do not set your heart on them don't set your heart on them don't make money your trust don't make people your trust you make the Lord your trust don't set your heart on them Here's a verse from Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. If you set your heart on it, it makes wings and flies away. This passage says, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. So this psalm is calling us to trust God in the midst of all kinds of alternatives. There are all kinds of places we can look, but remember the use of the word only. Previously in the psalm, my soul waits in silence for God only. He only is my rock and my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. He is the only source of confidence and trust. In verse 11, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Remember the book of Proverbs, six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. Three things, four things. This is a way for them to parallel numbers. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Similar statement, I believe used in Job 40 verse 5. Twice I have heard this, power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord. For you recompense a man according to his work. We put our trust in God. And this text emphasizes particularly what are these qualities and characteristics of God. Emphasize his power, his loving kindness are mentioned. Remember that word loving kindness? Such an important word in the Old Testament. It's used 247 times about it. More than half of them, slightly more than half, are in the book of Psalms. Most of the Psalms in some way emphasize God's loving kindness, His mercy, His grace, His long-suffering, His compassion, His pity, all rolled up 
into one. And notice here, it is a sign of God's loving kindness that he recompenses a man according to his work. Those wicked men who are asked, how long will you go on murdering others? They will be recompensed according to their work. For those who say to their soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is in him, they will be recompensed according to their works. That passage is used a couple of times in the New Testament, recompensing somebody according to their works. Um, Romans 2 verse 6 Alexander Paul says Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil may the Lord reward him according to his deeds 2 Timothy 4 and verse 14 I would say well we'll save that discussion right now we'll just say that Romans 2 is quoted here Okay, um, what what do you see that you haven't left out in that? And Ruth, if you did want to, because we're gonna have to erase some of this to make room for other things. If you, okay, but what else? What other ideas do you have, Isaiah? Okay. Okay. It's mechanical. Yes, it is. It's it's more mechanical. That's that's beyond my mechanical ability, okay? But um, I was thinking, Isaiah had a great point. It's coming. And, uh, well, yeah, let's let's, let's wait because we have a few things to say about this side before we flip it. Lefty Lucy, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> well, don't, don't turn it in. I may still, I may have a couple of things to say like this. Okay. Okay. Uh, but Sarah? I was going to say that it talks about do not trust in oppression and do not bend in hope and robbery. My picture was of a highwayman, and that's how they intend to get rich, is through violence and, and oppression, and that's they're trusting in their own strength to. Yes. They're trusting in their strength instead of a Lord's strength. Um, and I, I mean, I, how many times have you heard stories in the news of crimes or um, seen these stories portrayed? And somebody, somebody kills their wife, or the wife kills the husband. Or somebody kills a coworker, and and I'm thinking, you really think you're going to get away with that? You you really th- that is so foolish. It's so I mean it's foolish on a lot of levels, but but you really think you're going to get away with that, and nobody's going to catch you, and but they are putting their trust in their strength. Instead of in God's strength. Now, is there anything more we need to say? What all could you say? We could put a whole lot under that category. That was what I was particularly going to touch, touch upon. Psalm 62 in God. What are some things it says? It says God is our strength. As Sarah just states. What else? 
That's, uh, that statement in verse 9 about uh, you put them on a balance and the balance goes up. At, uh, uh, when I worked in a laboratory, we had a little uh, cage, a little ba- balance, had uh, two pans. Uh-huh. You put something on the left pan and the other side would, would uh, go up. This one, they're, they're so uh, insignificant when they when they step on the pan, it, it goes where they are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They goes up, and the, and the breath goes down. Yes, that and that is that is a powerful illustration, and that is a good way to illustrate what Sandy said earlier about the balloon. Well, he said in Psalm 56, he saves our tears in a bottle in Psalm 56 verse 8. Uh, I think about Hannah pouring out her heart before the Lord in 1 Samuel 1.15. But that is a good point. God is compassionate and gracious. But really, almost every verse touches on that, doesn't it? David? Well, what uh, Boyd said, you know, about verse 9, made me think, they're full of hot air. Yes. A hot air balloon, you put hot air in it and it goes up. Yes. It becomes lighter. Yes, that's a good point. Good point. It just hit me. Yes. Yes. And so we have an expression about being full of hot air. (laughs) Yes. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think we humans have an inherent flaw that. We expect things too soon. So when people petition God, they they kind of are looking for an answer right away. I mean, when Paul was writing to the Colossians, he was trying to instill in them that they need to look to God and God alone instead of the uh, philosophers and the yeah. tradition of men and the basic principles of the world. He had to remind them, just like David is reminding us, it may not happen the way you think it's going to happen. It may not happen in the time you think it's going to happen. But God hears you. He's for you. He will help you in his time. We just yes. need to be consistent in our yes. prayers and patient. Yes. And, and trust that he does hear us and that he will answer us. And it isn't easy because we are weak. And we, I think, we want an answer quickly because we fear we can't hold out forever. And... But you're right. I think the message of Scripture is ultimately we believe that God will vindicate us whether we see it or not. We believe it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Bob, we can, we can turn this over now. We can try our experiment. And by the way, Bob, Bob, is, Bob has earned his key tonight both as a one who supplied the grace. Hearing the sound and the one who is flipping the board, so he's going to above. But and the light, yeah, yeah, the light as well. But where would you be in the dark? <laughs> okay, how are some ways in which 
this psalm speaks of Jesus. How are some ways? Okay. What was what were you saying? Okay, he is our salvation. And uh, you see that phrase in 62.2 of God, my salvation. You see it in verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. In verse 7, talks about God, my salvation. And this, the word that was used in the Greek translation here for salvation, um, Savior, I'm forgetting exactly how it was translated there, but this is the word used when the Samaritan people says, we have heard him ourselves and know that he is the Savior of the world. When Peter preaches in Acts 5.31, and says God has raised up a prince and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Paul at Antioch of Pisidia when he says in Acts 13.23 about God from David's line has given you a Savior in Jesus. Ephesians 5 and verse 23, Christ being the Savior of the church. Philippians 3.20. And we could go on and on. He is our salvation. He alone is our salvation. He only. Um, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and he alone is salvation. There's no other name given among men by which you must be saved. He is our salvation. Yes. Very good. Um, I've just got a few of the terms here but um, that I've focused on. But what else do you see? What, what else? What other ideas do you see about Jesus, Gary? Well, he's like David in that I shall not be greatly shaken because that's used in Psalm 16. Yes, that's right. Um, not shaken in Psalm 16, 8 through 11. That passage is quoted. I, quoted, I referred to this earlier. Uh, the Lord is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Uh, he is always before my face. I will not be moved. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing that. But that passage is quoted in Acts 2, 25-28 in Peter's longest recorded sermon. It is quoted in Acts 13 in Paul's longest recorded sermons. I believe it's verses 35 through 37. But both Peter and Paul use this in their longest recorded sermons, I think showing us that this was a keynote of apostolic preaching as they went out and preached about Jesus. In, to the Jewish listeners, they emphasized that he is the fulfillment of Psalms 16, that your Holy One would not see decay. David died and is buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, Peter says. But the one whom God raised did not see corruption. Yes. 
What else, Isaiah? Verse 12 is reversed in Jesus. Uh, we don't receive what we deserve. Okay. Okay. In a sense, we do because our life affects our destiny. But in the sense, as he's saying it, that, that Jesus brings forgiveness. I guess I can bring up the point that I was going to try to make a moment ago because um, Isaiah led me in it. Look at Romans 2 just a moment. Look at Romans 2. Romans 2 verse 6 is where we emphasize that Psalm 62 12 is quoted. Who will render to each, to each person, according to his deeds. You'll render to each person according to his deeds. Now, look at verse 13. Verses 6 through 11 make a play on this he'll render to man according to his deeds and there's no partiality with God and to those who do evil they'll be punished to those who do good they will be blessed but look at verse 13 it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God but the doers of the law who shall be justified hearers of the law not the hearers of the law who be justified but it's the doers of the law now some of you probably have a footnote to that to another passage in the New Testament that says almost the same thing. What is that? Okay, I'm thinking of James 1.22. Do not be hearers of the word, but doers also. James 2.26 talks about the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. But particularly James 1.22. But I would suggest... And you can correct me if I've missed something. But I think the purposes of those passages are much different. The purpose of James 1.22 is to encourage us. We can't be people who just sit here and listen to things that are good and true and noble, but doesn't have any application to our life. We can't be people like that. But at the same time, We are doers of the word. Romans 2.13 is convicting us all of sin. Have all of us always done things that were good and right? The things we've heard in scripture and we've amen. The things that we've heard and we know are true. Have we always done them? The purpose of Romans 2, I think, is to convict us of sin. Well, the purpose of James 1.22 is to encourage obedience. And so it gets us to the point that Isaiah was mentioning. The New Testament still says that God will reward us according to our deeds and our works. But it is also understood That while no one is punished, no one that is punished will get more than he deserved. Some of us 
by his amazing grace and mercy will be forgiven and have the door of heaven open to us. And that is astounding. That those of us who have heard and haven't always done that we can have our wrong deeds and our sins forgiven. But I would say too on those verses that Isaiah mentioned so, so in a sense it provides forgiveness I guess is the best way to say that some of this get far less than we deserve as one person on the radio show when asked how are you doing always said better than I deserve that's true of all of us better than I deserve but Psalm 62 11 and 12 it mentions God's power and God's loving kindness are those things displayed in Jesus we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness but to those who are saved both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God God's power is displayed in the cross where he can transform the weak into the strong God's power is displayed God's loving kindness is demonstrated in the cross in the Old Testament's full of God's loving kindness. Old Testament's just full of it. We talked about the word is used 128 times in the book of Psalms. Over and over and over you see God's loving kindness and then you come to the New Testament and you find that statement, the law was through Moses but grace and truth is in Christ in John 1.17 and you think, wasn't there any grace and truth in the Old Testament? It is all over the place in the Old Testament. You find it in Genesis 3 from the very first point where God doesn't destroy man and woman because of their sin. The Old Testament is a story of God's loving kindness. But the cross is such a preeminent display of God's loving kindness that it trumps everything that's gone before. That's the point. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ the power of God, the loving kindness of God is shown in the cross. He is our refuge. I think in verse 8 that that the Septuagint has, he is our hope. The statement's made in Matthew 12 in verse 21, in him shall the Gentiles hope. He is our hope. He is our our shield. Wait, could you run up and get those Psalm 62 songs? You've got them? Okay, good job. Um, any other comment? There's obviously things I mean. Well, I one Sarah I alluded to earlier. The term glory in verse 7. That term glory. It's used in the Greek translation 
The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God shown in Christ. Anything else? Jose? One more that I just, I don't know if it works or not, but my soul waits in silence for God only, and like a lemon from the shear to a silo. There's a connection, I just don't know if it's worth anything more than the word silent and silence is used. That's a good point. A lot of the passages that we've been using tonight have focused on how the things said of God are fulfilled in Christ. And you are particularly, you're particularly mentioning one that is used of the one who is waiting on God, the human who is trusting in God, and asking how that applies. Yeah, I'm going to try to explore that further, but that's a good point. That's a good point, Sarah. Good thoughts, people. And you see, too, I'm sure we just scratched the surface here. If we have a Tuesday night Psalms class in heaven, there'll probably be all these points that we missed. (laughs) But at the same time, the things that we do see are greater than our minds can be wrap, can wrap around, can 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 grasp. It won't be a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. One eternal day. Yes. Josh, would you would you want to lead us in prayer as we close? Okay.